Jeff Halpio on Heartland coming to you from Bar 9 of West Fargo. And with me this week is uh, Josh Swanson with uh, the Vogel Law Firm. Thank you for joining me for a beer, Josh. Hey, anytime uh, one Benson County guy can sit down with another <laughs> Benson County native and uh, have a, a tall beer, that's always a, a win-win. It is, it is. There's something about that Benson County, I think, kind of grew us up in uh, enjoying a tall beer here and there. But uh, Josh, I wanted to have you out. You're with Vogel Law Firm, and your specialty is with... Uh, energy development, agriculture. What what is your title? A natural uh, attorney at Vogel Law Firm. Do litigation all on the civil side. Nat- natural resource, energy law, land use, ag law, and a little bit of uh, commercial law, like shareholder disputes, that kind of thing. Sure. Okay. So um, I know during the the legislative session in North Dakota that wrapped up just a few weeks ago that there was. One bill that, or there was a couple bills that dealt with mineral resources or mineral rights underneath Lake Sakakawi. I just saw in the, the papers yesterday or today that there's some development there. Walk us through, because obviously I wasn't in the hearing, so what what was the dispute? I know you, were, you came on supporting the, the, the legislation and not necessarily always you and the oil companies working together on things, but so walk us through it. Sure, I'd be glad to. And that's one of the interesting things here, the, the impetus for the legislation, which there are two bills, Senate Bill 2134 and House Bill 1199, dealt with the ownership of minerals under Lake Sakakawea, a man-made uh, government reservoir created by the Garrison Dam. Right. And the issue was who actually owns those minerals. And for, well, since the inception of Garrison Dam in Sakakawea, it began to fill in the you know, late 50s, early 60s after it was closed. Um, the state has never claimed it. Traditionally under the law, the state's claim was limited to the river channel of the historic Missouri River as it existed before Garrison Dam because as a you know not just a, a common sense matter but under the fifth amendment of the United States Constitution and under the North Dakota Constitution the government cannot flood your property and claim it which which should make sense to everybody as a practical matter I mean think of the the FM diversion here the government just can't come in put up a dam and then say okay there's water there we own it the fifth amendment is very clear on that if the government takes your property they have to compensate you. So that's exactly what had happened back in the 50s. The United States came in, flooded hundreds of thousands of acres of prime North Dakota farm and ranch land for Lake Sakakawea, my clients included. So my clients signed a warranty deed over to the United States. The United States gave these owners two options. You either sell the property to us, which Congress appropriated hundreds of millions of dollars for under the Pick Sloan Act, or we'll take you to court and we'll condemn your property and we're gonna get it anyway. So when my client sold their property to the US, they were able to reserve the minerals. The United States recognized that, hey, look, we don't need these mineral interests, we just need the surface. So in clear and specific language in that warranty deed, the June 1958 warranty deed and all the other warranty deeds where uh, landowners (coughs) reserve these minerals, it says that the mineral rights remain with the landowner subject only subject only to the right of the United States to flood and inundate the property for the reservoir of Garrison Dam. Okay, for the, yeah. next, for the next 50, 60 years, the, the state recognized that. Private mineral owners like my clients leased out their minerals to oil companies. 
And then about seven or eight years ago, uh, the state decided all of a sudden that they were gonna claim those mineral rights. So uh, we filed a lawsuit. We tried to resolve it with the state. They had no interest. The attorney general's office told us to take a hike. They didn't want to talk to us. It seemed like a, a pretty cut and dry Fifth Amendment issue. And in fact, there are several cases and. If your folks really want to dive into it, United States First Barnes is one of them, and that details the history of cases uh, going back to, to 1872 when the U.S. Supreme Court first held you can't flood land if you're the government and claim that you own it. Um, so fast forward, here we are. The AG's office says, no, we own it. Well, the legislature gets involved recognizing it's a, 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 a excuse me, his Representative Heiner from the uh, Bismarck Mandan area put it, or excuse me, Heiser, not Heiner. Yeah, um, there's a lot of new yeah. legislators. I, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know a lot yeah. of them yeah. I, I, I get it. As he put it, Senator Armstrong, you know, I think referred to it this way as well. It was the, the single greatest taking in the history of the state of North Dakota as far as private property rights as we recognize them. Um, and it was a bipartisan issue. It wasn't a Democrat thing. It wasn't a Republican thing. And I, I think it's pretty well known that I'm a Democrat from Benson County, Farmers Union Democrat, right, going yeah. back a long way. Traditional ways. Democrat. Exactly. Like, yeah. you know, I interned for, for Senator Dorgan and interned for Roger Johnson when he was the A commissioner. Um, so this isn't a, a partisan issue at all, and, and we have the support of overwhelming majorities in both the, uh, the Senate and the House, including uh, Representative Mock, who was actually on the House subcommittee that took a look at the issue and gave it a unanimous due pass. So, it was unanimous out of committee? Yep, yeah, it was okay. unanimous uh, unanimous out of the uh, committee that was put together for it. And then, uh, like I said, it passed with overwhelming margins in both the House and Senate, signed by the governor. Mm -hmm. It created uh, a new chapter in the Century Code, Chapter 61-33.1, which said that the state cannot claim any minerals beyond the historic Missouri River Channel, which is, I mean, this, the legislature just said, this is what the law is. This is what the state's policy and practice has been, and they codified it. Well, if you think about it, that makes perfect sense. Again, you can't flood private property sure. and then claim it. So it came out here that the Supreme Court, while our case was pending, told the parties, there's legislation pending. If anything passes, let us know. You can submit supplemental briefings. So, uh, this past Monday, the state submitted their brief where they decided that they're just going to ignore the statute and, and they make the absolutely, let me be clear on this, they make the absolutely false claim that my client's property was never flooded. Uh, as part of the record to the Supreme Court is a report from Houston Engineering our clients had done that includes uh, satellite imagery from 1975, 1997, and 2011 that shows clearly, without a doubt, that our client's property, which was acquired by the federal government sure. because it would be flooded by Lake Sakakawea, was indeed flooded by Lake Sakakawea. So uh, that's become a you know a very hot topic issue the last few days. The land board is meeting tomorrow, and in, in addition to the fact the AG's office is uh, making that absolutely false claim about our client's property never being flooded. Uh, now there's a separation of powers issue there that sure. that's. Uh, you, you don't see that, you know, typically it's the Attorney General's office that is protecting the people of North Dakota and enforcing the law. And in this situation, 
their argument just doesn't hold water, no pun intended, sure. <laughs> that my client's property isn't impacted by it. And uh, as it looks right now, we'll be arguing the issue in front of the Supreme Court in June. So uh, my, uh, the argument I've been hearing from, from those that don't necessarily agree with what the legislature did was, look, there was cases pending as, I mean, you're involved in the cases. Yep. Why not let them flush themselves out without the legislature uh, picking sides, so to speak, that, no, because they're, they're looking at this as it's going to be over, I think, $150 million going uh, away from state budgets that are now going to go to whoever owns the mineral rights of those. And, I mean, not to say that um, the state should hold ownership prior to the, you know, the private owner of those minerals. It's just, why not let it, the, the court flush itself? Sure, and, and that's a good question. And the court, or excuse me, the legislature has a duty to pass laws. And in this situation, the legislature recognized that yeah. we have a constitutional issue with both the U.S. Constitution, the Fifth Amendment, with the North Dakota Constitution, which also has a prohibition against the government taking private property. And the legislature, you know, as, a, as someone who served in the state senate and served the people of this state, they recognized that there was a serious issue facing their constituents, so it, it was fully within the prerogative of, of the legislature to address the issue and say, we're not going to wait for the courts because we have the power to pass this legislation saying that the state doesn't have a claim to the property. So you know, it's the job of the legislature to pass laws. It's right. you know, yeah, the job right. of an attorney to argue the laws and sure. the job of the Supreme Court and other courts to interpret the laws. And here the you know legislature is exercising their power to pass the laws and the the other thing i would add there you know with regards uh, there is there is some sticker shock which is something our, our opponents on this measure with with all due respect to them have waved that like a red flag saying boy this is a hundred and hundreds of millions of dollars here that the state is losing well it was never the state's to begin with you know i i can't walk into a bank rob it walk out with a bunch of bags of money and when the cops pick me up say you can't take this money from me it's my money well it was, it was never my Sure. money in the yeah. first place and in fact the the land board went so far back in september 2010 in a memo at a, at a meeting which is you know again part of the record in our case all of the money from the the royalties and the bonuses for these disputed acres it didn't go into the general fund of the state it was never appropriated it was never in the coppers they set it aside in a special sif fund you know the yeah, like strategic, strategic investments investment. and improvements yeah. fund and said it could not be appropriated and touched because there is a dispute as to who actually owns the property, which I think is telling, because if you feel that that money and those interests belong to the states, why are you segregating it and putting it aside sure. and saying- yeah, I mean, Just in case, yeah, I understand that. So uh, it leads into this question, for me at least, uh, I know that like the Petroleum Council, the oil lobbyists in the industry, obviously had a, a very strong interest in, in the legislation that's passed, so I saw I was forwarded an email of some of the backers of, of this measure saying, hey, you got to get out to Bismarck tomorrow or on yep. Thursday uh, of whenever, and um, you, you got to tell the land board to, to drop this or whatever the, it might be. So yep. so explain the, the industry interest in this. Sure, and I'll start by saying that um, you know, I, I sue oil companies all the time. I, I don't sue them because I'm anti-development. I sue right. them because my when they're, clients- When they're in the wrong. Exactly, yeah. my clients yeah. who are farmers and ranchers and mineral owners, my job is to represent them. So I, I have a long history dealing with 
a lot of those men and women representing industry and as professionals we we get along fine and in this situation we were on the same side Tyler and I think what is absolutely telling here not a single mineral owner or a single person a citizen testified in favor of the position taken by the land board in the attorney general's office during the entire legislative session there was not one mineral owner not one landowner who said well wait a minute the AG's office and the land board is right on this. It was mineral owners, such as my clients, who showed up at the legislature and testified unanimously before the committees that this bill was a good thing in, in recognizing the private property rights of the mineral owners. So um, I received a copy of the same memo you did. Um, I, the memo, in fact, says in there that with the study adopted, the Wilkinsons, who happen to be my clients, you know, they are the owners of the property interest, which which is correct. Um, so in this particular situation, I'm in full agreement with them. I'll, I'll be in Bismarck tomorrow morning. What, what we're hearing now is you and I are recording this. I got an email saying that uh, because there's been so much heat put on by both industry and mineral owners, and I, I've been working the phones and burning up emails today too to, imagine so, to get yeah. the word out there about it. And my clients will also be there, um, including the 92-year-old uh, patriarch, excuse me, matriarch of the family who's residing in a- 92, did you say? Nine, she's in her 90s, yeah, and she's 92. <laughs> she's residing in a, a nursing home in Bismarck. You know, she remembers going to this property that we're disputing when she was a little girl post-World War II and uh, farming it, helping to farm it with her parents. And, and the situation, what gets me, Tyler, you know, in the state's brief, which was highlighted, I think, in the Bismarck Tribune and on a couple of websites today, um, the state said at no time has this property ever been flooded or inundated by the river. Well, then what the hell is the state doing claiming it? So the state's saying this property is high and dry, but somehow it's within the Missouri River or Lake Sakakawea. Because the state says there, admits their interests are limited to that river channel, but here they are by their admission in their brief submitted Monday that they're claiming property that they say was never flooded and has never been flooded by the river, which is even more disturbing than the position they've taken now. And, and just to be clear for the listeners, uh, as I mentioned, the, the three maps that that um, are part of the record, well, there's more than three maps, sure, but the, the yeah. visuals, the 75, 97, and 2011 aerial imagery, the Landsat, images show that uh, the property all of it all of it was inundated by the water so you know we'll, we'll see what happens tomorrow but from what we're hearing right now and this could change by tomorrow is that uh, they may not even bring up the case now might not even talk really? about it whereas on their agenda earlier in the week yep. it said that they would uh, adjourn into executive session but uh, you know make no mistake we'll be out there fighting for our clients and uh, industry will do what they have to do. So my, my question, this is just based on your opinion. So you can, uh, you cannot answer because you're an attorney or whatever it is attorneys do, but I, uh, I won't go to Mike Flynn road and take the fifth <laughs> yeah, amendment right. because I, I'm not yeah. testifying here and you uh, know me, it's uh, uh, sometimes tough for me to keep my mouth <laughs> shut, especially after having a beer. So well, you, uh, you can fire away and we'll so, see what happens. So, okay. I mean, obviously with all the litigation, the court cases, it's cost the state money outside of it being put in the 158 million whatever it is put into the the sip fund who's if you had to pick i don't want to say who's to blame but i kind of want to ask who do, who do you think is to blame for for the the state undertaking this yeah it, i mean is it the attorney general here here's what i will say about that uh, 
as a litigator and someone who's been doing this for uh, you know six seven years now, you know, good attorneys don't adopt the scorched earth policy to to hell with you we're right you're wrong type approach. In a lot of these cases, there's a reason why a lot of cases settle. Um, there's room for compromise. There's a win-win situation a lot of times where. You know, it's that old saying, if, if both sides walk away a little bit unhappy, then you've probably reached a good result. So from the get-go of this lawsuit, we reached out to the Attorney General's office and said, well, let's sit down and visit. There's a solution, let's talk about it. And they would never respond to us. They never did want to sit down. And when we did mediate the case in the, the spring of uh, 2015, they showed up to mediation, sort of thinking, okay, we might get something done. They're showing up in good faith. You don't show up at a mediation and make our clients private citizens who have already paid hundreds of thousands of dollars fighting the state because of the position the state's taken. You don't show up to, to give someone the, the middle finger. Well, you know, we go through the song and dance all day with the mediator, present our case, give him our information. And it's kind of like shuttle diplomacy during a mediation. The mediator, you're in separate rooms from the, the opposite party and the mediator goes back and forth, kind of like Kissinger did back in the day, and brokers a deal. Uh, sometime early afternoon, the state said, well, we'll give you X, which was a very small and insulting number to go away. By that point, our clients had spent, already spent several hundred thousand dollars on this. And, and that's kind of the mentality we've been dealing with where they've refused to talk on it. Um, they've refused to reach any sort of compromise. And I think here, you know, when you talk about who's to blame, um, I understand that the Attorney General's office has to do what they think is right. We disagree with them 100% on that. Sure. We could be more diametrically opposed to what they think is right. What I will say is that the legislature has spoken on this issue, and mineral owners and industry in unison are in support of the statute, yet the Attorney General's office is still wanting to push this and and disregard the legislation or have some sort of convoluted interpretation of it and say, well, let's let the Supreme Court decide it. So when you talk about blame, um, I don't want to, I want to be careful how... Well, that's I, what I said. I don't want to say, you know, who do you blame? But I mean, somebody made the decision to allow this to transpire the way they it did. They did. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and this is part of the record actually in our complaint that was filed in the courts, um, the Attorney General and the Land Commissioner kind of poo-pooed our clients right away and said, you know, we're not taking your minerals, that's not what we're doing, we're just doing these two studies to see what might be out there, and then they put our clients' minerals up on the state's database to auction off the, the private companies um, under the cover of darkness, didn't even tell our clients, and that's, you know, the process by which everything happened, which is public record process is in public record, but I've testified sure. to this at the legislature, so I'm comfortable talking about it. And my clients have testified to this. You know, they brought the issue to the land board several years ago, back in you know, 2011, 2010, 2011, they first brought it to the land board. And they just happened to discover that their minerals have been posted on the state's mineral auction database. Um, and now we're here, when this is a situation where back in 2011, the land board should have said, you know what, there's a question about this, let's let's bring in mineral owners, let's bring in industry, let's sit down and let's figure this out. Instead they said, well, we're going to claim everything, we're not going to tell anyone, 
and it just so happened our clients found out about it and we decided that you know you got to stand up for what's right and our clients um, had been wrong so we stood up and now we're uh, we're in the thick of it four or five years later yeah so. yeah well and I've been critical of the way the states handled the entire energy development I, you know you started off earlier saying like you're a Democrat you're not anti oil or coal or whatever and I'm the same way I mean others will obviously paint me however they want as they've been doing since I ran for office and won and then they also did it when I didn't win um, I'm not anti-energy but they, they've handled this development in this oil play in such I think a, a way that's not what the state deserves whether it's uh, environmental protection whether it's collecting um, fines for people that or industries that uh, companies that don't abide by the rules giving away you know 235 million dollars in a tax cut in 14 months so I mean I'd let it be known how I think that the state could have done better and I'm curious because you're so involved in um, the, the industry itself as far as it being an attorney how do you grade how the state is has handled the development over the last 10 years I think it's no secret that that there have been issues I mean you, you talk with folks in the, the oil and gas counties and everything from you know getting their fair shake so they could handle I mean the stress of this development has fallen squarely on the shoulders of folks you know Williams Montreal um, Mackenzie County, Dunn County, Burke County, um, Divide County, and, and they've been hit really hard, and it stretched them thin. Everything from schools to emergency services to, to keeping rural uh, d Department of Transportation offices open. Exactly. Recently. So, so you know the fact that we would decide to, to cut revenue at a time like that and give a tax break, um, industry is going to disagree with me on that, but. You know, I, I think from a dollar and cents standpoint, Indus that, yeah, the industry and pundits and that, and uh, advertising agencies that are paid to find a way to sell this to the crowd. Yeah, the the oil's coming out of the ground, and, and you know it's that one-time precious resource going back. I think it was you know Governor Link back in, in 1972 or whatever it was. I, I probably have my dates wrong, but you know it, it's a limited resource and it's not going to be here forever, and they need to extract it. So you know. The issue is, you know, going back a couple of years when, when you were in the legislature, you have uh, all this money and then you decide that, well, the, the burdens of it, of the development, there are, there are costs that come along with it from everything to, to, like I said, schools, emergency services, first responders, roads, transportation, infrastructure, etc. So you're going to decrease the means to pay for that. And everybody knows that. You know, like any commodity, oil and gas ebbs and flows. It goes up and down. Right. It's, so, it's a volatile it, it is, commodity. It is. A, it's, it's exactly right. It's very volatile. And, you know, we were sitting here three, four years ago at $120 per barrel. And now we're back down, you know, hovering. You know, we're, we're past the trough where we picked up and we're on the upswing. But, you know, $40, $50, if we get back up to 60 you know, right, right now, anecdotally, we're seeing more rigs. We're seeing more surface agreements. We're seeing more... Pipeline infrastructure, for example, being put in, which which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, why would you decide to cut back on the, the revenue for that? To me, to me, it doesn't make any sense because when you talk about balancing a budget, now here we are in 2017, and uh, you know I, I ran into a lobbyist out there in Bismarck when I was testifying, 
who tends to be um, you know, fairly conservative and uh, everyone out there was just fighting for their share. So you made a comment like scraps. Everyone's fighting for scraps at the yeah, table because yeah, everyone's yeah. getting everyone's budgets getting slashed, and that that comes back. And you take a look; it, it's all interrelated. When you take a look, like the opioid crisis, for example, that we're seeing in the Red well all across the state, not yeah. just the Red River Valley. Yeah. Mental health, and when we're slashing those budgets, I mean, Breathe ND, a program that tries to reduce smoking among that citizens, was proven we're, effective. We're, and we're going to slash it completely, get rid of that because oh, cuts need to be made and, and everything like that. Well, why? It's deeper than cuts need to be made. There's a reason why the cuts had to be so drastic and I don't want to indict industry and say it's all the NDIC's fault or anything like that. I think it goes beyond that. I think as citizens of the state we need to take a long and hard look. How did we get to this situation, right? Yeah. Because you can't take in two dollars and try to spend ten and if you're trying to do math like that your books are never going to add up and then you're left in a situation where we are where we've got all these burdens and don't get me wrong, I think, again, the development has been great, but when you're going to have that development, there's going to be costs, and we have to pay for them, so what's the responsible thing well, to do? Well, and, and um, exactly, we, we should have been covering the costs, and being out there, I know in the party and the minority that we wanted some of them to keep more of it, so it wasn't going to come to the state. They could answer for their own maintenance on the roads, etc., uh, but we also asked for a study of how do we budget based on volatile commodities. That was all turned down previously. Now, of course, in hindsight, and four years later, the majority party decided to pick up that, that study and potentially move it forward. Glad. It's, it's funny but, how people forget history. You know, we, we've been through boom and bust cycles before. I remember a case I had with an attorney, a very well-respected, very seasoned attorney in Williston, who's been very involved in the community for years. And we were talking about it you know, around 2011, 2012. And you know, you're paying $300 for a hotel out there. And, yeah. and obviously the town was- I have friends that own hotels out in the, the Dickinson area that were making uh, good money at the time. And the communities are bursting at the seams yeah. and there's not, enough, uh, there's not enough of anything. And as, as you probably recall, a big question was, well, who's gonna pay for this because back in the late 70s and 80s when the boom went bust, you have these cities and counties that are stuck footing the bill for all this infrastructure they put in, whether it's you know sewer, roadways for these all these developments that never came. And that was a big fight. And, and then you know the state ended up giving them more money. But it, it's like we forgot all about that. That the history didn't matter. Okay, now we've got $100 barrel per oil, you know, $100 yeah. per barrel and it's not gonna change. Well, of course it's going to change. It always ebbs and flows. It always will ebb and flow. Yeah, so I, I, I don't want us to keep going on the budget because I think there's other things that the state have, has completely mishandled when it comes to this development. Um, outside of me getting the last word, that they arbitrarily cut not only the oil tax, but they, they cut other taxes, not based on any research, just so they could go campaign on it, yeah. is, my, is the way I, I see it. But you also have, you mentioned, uh, there's been an increase in, in pipeline yep. infrastructure being built and I've criticized you know that I ran for the Public Service Commission yep. I I laid out what I thought would be responsible pipeline oversight when it comes to not only siting but once you get the pipe in the ground how do you monitor it to make sure there's no leaks or anything like that nothing has really been done I mean there's been baby steps in and creating a new little housed like department within the egg department which just was 
it was unnecessary. In my opinion, if people that were are elected were doing their jobs, we wouldn't need to create these other bureaucratic positions that conservatives be mulling, and so do Democrats. Yeah, so I think we could just do better than what we did. And, and what, what we've been forced to do as attorneys, you know, contract law, a contract is essentially private law governing the conduct of two parties. So what we do for our clients who are landowners in Western North Dakota, you know, I, I have a standard, uh, what I call a, an exhibit that we include with all these service agreements, pipeline agreements, uh, etc. And what it says is that and we could go on all day about the reporting requirements if there's a spill on property and, and the language I include in every agreement for my clients is you will report every incident that occurs on the property, any sort of spill to us within 10 days in writing. That way we're not going either. We never hear about it, which has happened. I, I've represented numerous landowners and, and think about it, that's common sense. You don't have to be a Republican or Democrat to know if you've got land anywhere, if someone comes on your property and spills something on it, you're going to want to know about it. So we, we contract, we've been forced to contract for that to say you have to notify us if there is a spill. And, and we put different things in, in our pipeline agreements when we're negotiating with the companies saying that you've got to include safety devices, monitoring equipment so that we know. And, and I can't tell you how frustrating is I, I get calls from clients and I represent a lot of clients. You don't see the stories in the paper where they find out there was a spill or release on their property and now you're left trying to remediate it, clean it up. But it also, I mean, think about it. If you're if you're listening to this, you're a farmer rancher in you know, Benson County, Eddy County, Stutzman County, Dunn County. I mean, you go up and down the board across the state, state of North Dakota, and if you own land and there's a spill on it, well, what's that do to the value of your property? I mean, good luck trying to sell that because someone's going to come in there to get an appraisal done. And as part of your disclosure, you're going to say, oh, by the way, yeah, there is this big spill in my property. There's monitoring well set up, and we had to do soil borings to test, and they found elevated levels, chlorides, and all these other things. So it makes that property really tough to sell. And that's not a Democrat issue. That's not a Republican issue. No, that's no. a common sense issue. So we've, we've had to address it from that way and um, to, to do everything we can in our perspective. And when you talk about laws protecting the citizens of North Dakota as attorneys, in essence, what we've done is we've had to incorporate our own law, if you will, into those contracts to protect our client. But the, the unfortunate thing is not every landowner knows that they should do that. And there's also a cost associated with it because that, I don't work for free. You know, I, I try to help sure. out as many people yeah. as I can, yep. but if yep. I'm sitting down and I'm negotiating with a company and spending, you know, four or five hours back and forth over the course of a, whether it's a couple of weeks or, you know, some agreements, We'll spend, you know, one we just closed on here a couple of weeks ago. It took us five or six months to get that negotiated. And in the end, it was worth our clients to put the money into that because they got more out of it in the long run. And their investment, you know, their return on investment was so many times higher for what we got them. You know, we go back to, you know, Earl's Bar or Harriman's Bar in Leeds and Maddox and sit down with folks. Well, they can't afford to write a check, most of them, for $20,000 no. to an attorney to say, hey, right go fight this company with unlimited resources. And I, and I think that's where the, the state and the representatives of the state have an obligation to go to bat for their constituents and say, my number one here, my primary concern are my constituents and making sure that if something happens on their property, that they're protected. And, and that's not big brother or overreaching or a liberal thing. That's no. that's a common sense thing. Yeah, oh, and I would agree. And that actually was going to be my last question is I don't, I don't think that members in the legislature and even 
members on the Public Service Commission and, and those that are on the Industrial Commission have done a good enough job of actually working on behalf of the people that they are paid to work for. And it, you, like you said, it's not a liberal thing, it's not a Democrat thing. I, I can think of like uh, Dick Anderson, who's, who's been big, he's Republican, I don't recall where Dick's from, good guy. Uh, he's a representative in the House Republican who's fought for better pipeline oversight, has been pushed back on from his own colleagues. And, um, and you know, where things get unfortunately partisan is when it comes down to the votes. Yeah. You know, there's, there's been attempts to, in my opinion, improve our oversight and how we guide this development. We, you know, we can partner with industry, to, but also make sure that they aren't tarnishing a farmer's land on accident by negligence of putting the pipeline in the ground. And that's a great point. And if, if, if you were anti-development, if I was anti-development, or if my clients were, we wouldn't be working with these companies that develop the resources on their land. What we tell them is, sure, you can you can put up uh, put in the pipelines, you can put up the wells, but let's talk about a way where the landowner is protected, which is what I do for my clients, what I do every day is work with these companies make sure landowners have the protections in the event anything happens and things are going to happen we it's not a fail safe right so I, a lot of these companies you know there's and we could go on and on about this there's there's really good operators who really do work with landowners and there are companies that are not so great to work with and and by and large the companies are, are pretty responsive and they're they're good to work with uh, from my perspective dealing with them is a the attorney from landowners um, but there just needs to be some sort of accountability to that where if something happens um, the landowner is protected and like I said it, it's not a situation where all these landowners can afford to pay an attorney sure, to yeah. go nose to nose with a lot of these companies so what where's it gonna go we'll we'll see it what, what worries me Tyler is, is having you know, been knee deep in the Bakken development and representing landowners with regards to oil wells, pipelines, saltwater disposal lines, and you name it going up on their property. Uh, if you take away that oversight and you let industry do whatever they want and run the show, there's going to be a day in the near future and we can come back and listen to this recording <laughs> and put it on a campaign ad or something and say boy swanee was right there's going to be something big that's going to happen and that's unfortunately that's what it's probably going to take to bring this to the forefront there's going to be a really bad spill or a really catastrophic incident that you know if you remember the castleton train train derailment sure. yeah. a couple yeah. of years ago that brought that issue to the forefront it's going to take something of that scale where unfortunately people are going to have to get hurt or there's going to have to be one hell of a mess for people to say oh boy we we got to do something about this now and, it, and it's that whole reactionary approach to, to wait for something to happen um, and to be clear you know for me I've done well for myself during this development because oil and gas development mean, means more money in my pocket but the responsible thing to do as not just attorneys or you with your blog and your podcast and a former legislator is to look toward the future and say okay what's on the radar yeah. and what can we do today to address that to make sure we're not stuck in a situation where a couple cars are colliding and, and blowing up a town or where there's not this massive spill that threatens the water supply of a town or something yeah. like that well and 
I, I would push back saying that, in my opinion, I thought there had been a couple of major accidents or incidences outside of the castle. I mean, imagine being the farmer from Tioga and taking your tractor and seeing oil on, on your tires yeah. and how long that's been going on. Even if that was an accident, you know, the reports say it was a lightning strike or, you know, the, the 30,000 gallons of salt water, whatever it was, at a creek, I think uh, December of 2015. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm very familiar yeah, with that situation. Well, I'll just leave it at that. I'm so, very, yeah, very familiar so with that. So there, there are incidences that I think warrants, you know, that there, there should be no question that we could do better than what we are, but there's been pushback to allow that. And for those of us that have been pushing some of that forward-looking approach, uh, we've been called anti-industry, we've been called anti-oil. The, the industry itself has pushed back on this. And I always want to go back and ask the lobby for the industry, um, okay, well, aren't you paying more in you know, recovery of your product that's now like completely ruined somebody's farmland? Aren't you paying more for that? If, if you put just a little bit more investment up front, it's going to make everybody happy. The development's going to continue. Um, it, it just, it, to me, it's pragmatic. It's not anti-industry. By making sure you get it right in the first place. And, and on top of that, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll leave you with this. It, it's not just pragmatic, but what's right for the state of North Dakota? You know, we're, we're a state with a, a long agrarian history stretching back to when you know, your great-grandparents, my great-grandparents, you know, fifth generation farmer here from Benson County. My, my great great grandma was actually the one who set up the homestead by Esmond and my dad and grandpa still farm up there. Sure. So uh, the, you know, the land, the importance of the land to our family and growing up here. I mean, I, I wanted to come back here after law school. I can't imagine working anywhere else. Yeah. And you know, the, the firm I was at in Omaha during law school and they say, boy, Swanee, all your stories start well back in Fargo or back in North Dakota or back in Maddox. <laughs> Um, well, there's always stories to be told from uh, <laughs> the Upper Midwest here in North Dakota. And it's a situation where are we doing what's right for the state of North Dakota? And it's not cliche to say, what's going to happen with our kids and our grandkids? What are we leaving them with 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now? And they've been stories. You've seen, I've seen stories on KXMC, KMOT, where they find these sites from the development in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Where companies were literally burying waste in the ground, and we're yeah. we're better than that. You you don't need to be a Republican and Democrat to agree that the the number one primary overriding factor that should be taken into account in this, what is best for the people of North Dakota, right? And and the question I would ask you is, well, you've asked me, I'll ask it to you, and I hijack the hosting duties here. <laughs> hey, whatever, man. Are we doing that? Are we doing that right now? And and I would submit that you know there's a lot of situations where we could be doing a lot better. Uh, and, and I would say that that question is not asked enough. Um, to be honest with you, I, I know a few years ago uh, during one of the statewide campaigns that that was asked if we come out of this immediate oil boom with all this revenue coming in, or what you know if we come out of that and there's not a grand improvement on people's uh, quality of life, then did we squander this opportunity? And I'm, I'm afraid at the moment, I would say that some of that opportunity has been squandered. It's not too late. I mean, the development's still there. We're still going to be developing oil. There's other energy resources. We have you know, wind development, even though this little legislature tried a couple of times to ban that development over the next couple of years. There still is a lot of opportunity in North Dakota 
if we do it right. And that's why these conversations, they happen. So I thank you for joining me over a beer or two and, and having that out. Because, I mean, you're, you're the expert. I'm the now talking head, as some people call me. Um, so I, I just think it's a conversation that, for people that are listening, that even though we don't agree with how the states handled it, that doesn't put us as anti-development. That doesn't put us into anti-oil. It just, we think we could do better than what we are. I think in a, in a democracy, and you, you know me as a, a history major, um, my favorite period of American history is a Revolutionary War period, where citizens stood up and, and said enough. And, and a big part of my own personal philosophy is that, you know, you can complain and bitch all you want about elected officials, but as a, a citizen and as a voter, you know, democracy is a participation sport. Folks have to ask questions. They have to ask hard questions. They, they can't just say, well, you know, what can I do there? They're in Bismarck or they're in Washington. You know, you, you have to be willing to go out and, and get educated on different issues, including the oil and gas issue. And it's okay to take a time out and say, well, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. Why aren't we doing this? And what could we be doing better? And I'll tell you what, you know, well, what bothers me a lot, you know, I'm a pro-business guy. My dad has several small businesses. I grew up with that. I'm, I'm an owner of a business. Vogel Law Firm, as a shareholder, mm -hmm. and we have 150-plus employees, and I'm one of the owners of that business. You know, we're paying folks the salaries to work for us. We're paying all kinds of taxes, a lot of taxes. Yeah. Um, as part of that, you know, you have to stand up. Oh, the, the, excuse me, I kind of got si oh, sideways no, there. Like, song. Hey, this is un unfiltered. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. Song in the background and everything. But uh, <laughs> that, no, that's that's the uh, downfall of doing live in a bar. Uh, and we've done pretty well but, doing live in a bar here. But, you know, when you talk about the we need to run this state, and that's been Governor Bergen's. His mantra was send business leaders to Bismarck. That's all well and fine. I think that having that entrepreneurial background is good. Because what do entrepreneurs and successful business leaders do? They're forward thinking. They ask questions. They say, okay, things might be good now, but what can we do better? The most successful organizations, and if, you know, kind of a, a sidebar of folks read Buys and Illustrated, my column in there, Swanee says every month. Hey, you can give yourself a free plug. Right? That's fine. Right? Yeah. One of the things I'm constantly writing about, because I'm, I'm so fascinated by it and I absolutely love it, you know, NDSU winning, for example, five championships in a row, sending a guy like Carson Wentz to the NFL. It happens because there's a culture within the program that that football team and that athletic department is always asking, we've won a championship, but what can we do better? What do we need to do better? So that they're not complacent to rest on their laurels. And I think that's a danger. And I think if there's one area where the state might've fell short, back when the oil boom was going bonkers, we should have asked ourselves, what can we be doing better? What do we need to do better? Because these high times won't always last. So I, I'll leave you with that. If I can work in rise and yeah, football yeah. and beers <laughs> and a podcast into the bar talking about the law, like that's the nerd side of me. That's you know that's a full day for me, buddy. That's, hey, that's a wrap yeah, for you me. Know, uh, I had a few more questions, but I think that is a high note to actually go out on. So uh, again, Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm. Uh, again, what's your title, just so listeners? Understand that you're an expert in what we talked about. It's not just me and another person at a bar talking sure. about oil and gas. Yeah, well, to, you know, I, I've actually taught an oil and gas class at the uh, a course, oil and gas intro course at the law school at UND. Even as a bison guy, I, for a semester, I, I was teaching an oil and gas law class up there. I 
a guest lecturer at NDSU, the master's program on, on natural resources energy, and I taught at uh, Bismarck State Energy Center of Excellence, They're one of their energy regulatory programs, and in fact, I've also written, if, if folks want to go to our website, um, my uh, profile page, my, my bio is up there, and it has a list of the publications I've done, so I've, I've presented at oil and gas conferences and symposiums, and I've done several law review articles that are geared toward uh, explaining what landowners can do to protect themselves, both with oil and gas leases, different things that landowners should look for, and then also with regards to uh, one of the articles, probably my, my favorite one, the, what I call the hand of God, talks about a force majeure, or what's you know commonly known law as an act of God clause in oil and gas and other leases. Um, I did that article a few years ago in the UND Law Review, so that'll give some folks um, a little bit of information on my background. Sure. And of course, now we're uh, fighting away with uh, the land board and the AG's office on this, and uh, we'll see what happens. Well, we'll be following. I, I think it's an important issue, and one that it, it's so complex that, it, yeah, I mean, I'm going to visit with people on the other side just to get their take of it as well after, uh, you know, depending on when we air the podcast. Uh, tomorrow is when the, when the hearing is or meeting is. Uh, but it's something that I think is important. So I appreciate you taking time and joining me at Bar 9 in West Fargo for Happy Hour. I appreciate it, buddy. Yep, Josh Swanson, everybody. Cheers.